Um, good morning, everybody. You are on it. You are on it today. Um, a couple weeks ago, we got to spend time looking at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And I had the, one of the thrills of my life, which is to publicly describe the doctrine of justification. Now, I know that when you heard me say one of the thrills of my life, you expected it might be something more exciting than that. But the, the um, talking through justification is life-changing. Living it is life-changing. Today, we're in Romans chapter 5. I'm going to get to verse 11 today and then mention the second half of the chapter as we wrap up our series um, in Romans called Joyful and Justified. Uh, But today, we're going to talk about something pretty cool. It's the implications of the doctrine of justification. And um, we'll start with this idea of what it brings, what justification brings. And I have to start with thinking about the idea of relationship. And when you think about building any new relationship, Typically, it takes time to develop, and it takes intentionality. Very few people that I've come across, very few people in my life, um, have become meaningful friends through a random encounter and no time to talk. Most of the time, it's time plus intentionality, being intentional and spending time which means relationships develop after you get through or get past the small talk. Um, small talk. That's a, that's a, anyone a, anyone a, a small talk hate, a loather? Anyone loathe the small talk? It's like every second is torture. I feel the same way, except I've noticed that when I try to get a little bit more meaningful with people, it's a little bit difficult with my role because there's positional authority behind me asking meaningful questions to people. So I could tell on their face sometimes, it's like, uh-oh, I think I'm being, what's the word when the, the investigator interrogated? And I could see the color leaving some people's faces and sweat, you know, especially at my dinner table. So tell me a little bit about your marriage. Oh, sweet Jesus. It's everything, everything I, f- I was afraid of, everything. Um, but I, I, too, find that relationships seem to take shape through getting beyond the small talk, and um, that's one of the reasons why big events, big social events that go on for hours are troubling, especially if there's a lot of music, because you're stranded in the small talk. If you start something serious, it could get interrupted and so on. So um, keep this thought in your mind today as we talk about this topic, that relationships, to build them, takes time and it takes purpose. It takes intentionality. Um, and we have related to God oftentimes in ways that don't help us develop the relationship. We have related to God in um, ways that are disruptive and um, difficult for us to grow our relationship with God because of the way that we see God. And you may have heard this list before, but some people instinctively or based on the way that they were raised, they see God as kind of a cosmic cop whose primary role is to catch 
their mistakes. They are, uh, God is just looking to catch someone, confront them, and write them the ticket they violated the law. Then, uh, other people relate to God over the course of their life as if He's a vending machine, and His primary role is to dispense all their desires, right? Or some people might call that the genie God, where when you need Him, you just kind of rub the lamp, and then you kind of make your wish. And then the next time you see God or talk to God, it's because you have another wish that you want to communicate to Him. Some people see God as an angry judge whose primary role in their life is to condemn them for past failures, sentence them, condemn them, tell them what the punishment is, and make sure that they carry the guilt and shame of being someone who has failed. Other people relate to God like He's a mysterious force who is communicating from a distance, and He's using some hidden code, and you have to kind of discern the code over the course of your life so that you can understand what God is saying to you. Other people relate to God as if He's an ER doctor whose primary role is to intervene during a crisis, and then you don't need to know anything about or from that ER doctor until you have another crisis and you're back in the emergency room. Then you're like, oh, hey, God, another disaster. I need you to jump in here if you don't mind and save my life or save my happiness, right? And so the problem with that, there's a risk, and the risk is this, that if we are relating to God inaccurately. What that means is we don't have a proper theology. We don't, we don't quite see clearly who God is. If we relate to Him wrong, then we begin inadvertently to build our life on a false gospel, and we have fragile, fragile, fragile happiness. Build our life out on a false gospel, and all the happiness that we experience in our life is fragile. Relating to God accurately helps that, grows that, stabilizes that, builds a foundation for our life. And when we relate to God accurately, you will see God more like your friend than any of those other things that I just described. You will relate to Him more like a friend. And it's the kind of friend where you can be fully transparent because He's a God who's forgiving you, not condemning you. Because He is receiving you and He's relating to you just as you are. Now, how does this happen? It all happens because of the doctrine of justification. I can't stop smiling when I say that. The doctrine of justification. And there is this painful myth that anytime you get to this category of doctrine, it's immediately boring. Oh, we're going to talk about doctrine. This is... This is going to be a snoozer, right? And I would admit that there are doctrines that kind of maybe help you sleep better than others. Um, I'm going to make the case today that justification is not one of them that puts you to sleep, especially if you can read it nice and loud. Well, just to review, just so that we know what we're talking about, so it's not like um, I hope I remember what we, we were learning a couple of Sundays ago. Here's what justification means simply. Simply put... It's this idea uh, or this thing that has happened. God's declaration that we are righteous, that we are righteous. By the way, this is, this is important to note, that um, it doesn't say God's declaration that we are not guilty, because it goes beyond that. It goes beyond that in what actually happens in this legal declaration that, 
that God expand, uh, um, that, that God categorizes or gives us. So, on account of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, get this: the demands of God's law are met on our behalf. That's what justification means. All those laws, we are, we are. Those laws are not abolished. Those laws are satisfied by Jesus on our behalf. It also means that the sinful record of rebellion is expunged. There's a word. Write that down. Drop that in your next lunch conversation and then take in how viral it goes. When they say, did you just say expunged? Why, yes, I did. Let me explain it to you. Expunged is so much more powerful than not guilty. It doesn't mean your record is sealed. It means your record is shredded. It's as if you and I were never even charged with the crime itself of rebelling against God. Expunged means it's as if it never happened. It's not exonerated from the charges. It's expunged. The charges themselves are are, are dissolved or vaporized by a supreme and uh, loving judge. Also, it means that believers are granted the status of being righteous in, in God's sight. So, This is here a big deal, justification. And God declares it. The supreme judge declares it. He begins chapter 5 in Romans with this ringing affirmation that uh, we have this, this, uh, what's a a good way to say it? We have this um, legal standing. It's objective. It's an objective legal standing of the Christian that through faith in Jesus, God has declared that you are justified. And what does that mean? It means you and I don't have to live the rest of our lives justifying ourselves, being good enough, faithful enough, right enough, obedient enough. And that justification is done by God once for all who are in Jesus, who rest their trust in Jesus. It's a transfer of trust. You caught up now? Do you feel like you're caught up now? Not if you do. Uh, Not enough people. So let's start this again. (laughs) All right, so um, keep keep that in mind, would you, in the back of your mind? Because Romans 5 says, because of justification, you and I can be right with God. We have inner peace. Because of justification, you and I can have joy in our suffering, not joy for our suffering, but in our suffering. We can, we can kind of see through the suffering and dwell on the certainties that God has promised us and made available to us. Also, you and I, because of justification, can have real assurance that Jesus who saved us will see us through to the end. And then today, we'll talk about how justification, the implications of this is that our deepest joy, our deepest joy, we have a lot of joys, we have a lot of happiness in our life in, in, in many cases, but our deepest joy is found in God. So, what does knowing, what is knowing the present and also the future fruits of justification, what does knowing that produce in us? So, the main idea today is this. Jesus made us friends with God so we can now live in joy instead of fear. Joy instead of fear. Um, And this this is important because one of the things that we have to be clear on is that Jesus doesn't just save us from something bad. 
That's kind of like half the story. A part of the good news is that He doesn't just save us from something bad, but He saves us to something good, right? He just doesn't rescue us from the wrath of God, but He actually saves us to a life-changing relationship with God, right? So that's so important. Um, there's different ways to illustrate that. Um, for the sake of time, we'll, we'll, we'll keep going. So Christians get to go beyond just avoiding God's wrath, right? It's like um, imagine that there is a set of parents who are expressing their wrath to the child, and then the older sibling comes in and mitigates it and, and intervenes and kind of like somehow is able to put it to a stop, and the wrath ends, but the child ends up estranged from the parents, right? Good news, no wrath. Bad news, no relationship. So what we discover here with justification is that Christians go beyond avoiding the wrath and they actually rejoice in a brand new relationship with the Heavenly Father. It is um, a life-altering joy that we live instead of fear. Now, um, so here's the text. This is Romans chapter 5, and we're in verse 11 here. And check out the way that Paul writes this. This, this is so good. Anyone remember, anyone remember verses? Anyone, if you memorize verses, jot this one down. Romans 5, 8, we talked about that. God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's another zinger that's worth putting down in your heart to just dwell on, meditate. It starts like this. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new... I didn't finish the verse because I want to make sure that you know this is not where we're going. You do not rejoice in your wonderful new religion. If you talk to a serious Christian and you mention, hey, tell me about your religion or when did you become religious? All serious Christians, if you want to be a serious Christian, you have to do this. You have to cringe. Ugh. Why are we cringing? It's not a religion. And, and, and if you have some theological sharpness, you're like, I was rescued from religion. We've been freed from religion. So, and then you're like, well, I don't want to correct you because that's kind of, that seems a little nitpicky. But it's cringy, right? But we have not, we're not rejoicing in our wonderful new moral compass that we now have been given by God. We're all of a sudden now, God's given this brand new moral compass. We can navigate our culture. We can correct people who are wrong and make sure that we're committed to doing what's right. We've always got the moral high ground. Other people, they may do that, but I never do that. For me, you know, I mean, I'm more moral because of my, my faith. We also are not rejoicing in our wonderful new rules and regulations. Oh, what a thrill. I take the millstone off my neck that is sin and rebellion, and then I put the millstone of law, rules and regulations on my... What a thrill. I'm being sarcastic. If you're, if you're new to the scene here, that's... Sorry. A little bad sarcasm. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new church. If you've been around the church family long enough, there's not a lot of wonderful at times because it's loaded with people who need the grace of God and they're celebrating not their righteous perfection and holiness, they're celebrating the grace of, the, the, the grace of God that, that He would save someone such as I. Right? So, he also um, 
we are also not rejoicing in our wonderful new political party that we just discovered because we joined a church or because God has redeemed us. And I mean, there's limitless things. So what are we rejoicing in? Check this out. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship. And this is why Christians cringe, because we've discovered that the God of the universe has made a way for us to have relationship with Him at His expense, at a cost that was exclusively His. Someone, some people say, the gift of salvation, it's free. Well, keep in mind, theologically, it's free for you. But to be more accurate, it costs God His own innocent Son. Salvation is costly, just doesn't cost us. So this new relationship with God, why, why is it, where did it come from? Because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Now, I find this, uh, let me ask you, if you grew up in a background, maybe a church family or a faith family or maybe a, I don't know, but somehow you've kind of absorbed this idea that God is a cosmic cop or he is a angry judge. I mean, how many of you would say, you could raise your hand and, and let me know, how many of you would say, trying to process this idea that God has made us friends through Jesus, it's, it's hard to grasp. Raise your hand if that's hard for you to grasp. Maybe just in general. Yeah, it's, it's not easy for people to go, so I should not be flinching when I think about talking to God. And I've noticed that as I've related to people over the years, this is a hard one for a lot of people to grasp, this idea that He has made us friends. And can you imagine what this means for the Hebrew people hearing this? Paul's writing this to the church that's kind of coming together, Jew and Gentile, and they're kind of being exposed to this new gospel, this what does it mean to, to be um, in, with, and, 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 and have faith in this Jesus, and and imagine this. Imagine hearing this coming from the Hebrews and maybe even some of the Gentiles who know of fearing God. That's all they know. They know of fearing the God who opened the skies to rain down judgment in the time of Noah. Imagine hearing this if you're the kind of people who are very in tune with how God weaponized the elements of the earth to bring His judgment upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians for slavery of the Hebrews. Imagine how this sounds um, to the people who are very, very familiar and have been telling the story of how God Himself opened and then closed the Red Sea in a wave of judgment. Imagine you're the people who've been teaching your kids about this God who collapsed down the walls of Jericho on His enemies to protect His people. I mean, you know, some of you know more stories than that where if that's what you've been teaching your kids as a Hebrew um, believer, you think of God as this God to be feared, this God that wreaks havoc and brings wrath, and He is a judgmental, angry God, and now through Jesus, this same God is our friend. This is a God that we can turn to, and we don't have to be afraid that He's going to just smite us, flatten us, Make us disappear. You've seen this one before. This is the way I picture it. Boop, gone. Off we go. Where? Into the universe. This, this is a game changer for what they're reading and what they're learning and what they're hearing as people who belong to Jesus. So joy. 
Joy. This is, our, this is our implications of justification. I hope you grasp this. Joy is the great indicator that we are justified. We are a justified new friend of God. And this is important. It's joy. We have to be careful. It's not our faithfulness that's an indicator of our new relationship with God. It's also not my happiness. Now, um, I don't know if I can get away with this technically, but I, in my mind, it's so much easier to think of happiness as different from joy. I kind of think of happiness, and again, if you press me on this or you research this or you kind of define, even if you define this biblically, I think there's some, there's some um, overlap and probably some redundancies here. So I don't, I don't know that I would say that this is like you can take this to the theological bank. But I do, I do find myself um, understanding joy different from happiness. Happiness in my mind always kind of strikes me as temporarily based on my circumstances that are favorable, right? It, and the opposite of that, it would be the circumstances are bad, and so I'm sad. Happy or sad. But when I think of joy, I think of having some flowing life-giving river deep in my soul even when it's raining and storming outside or even though um, the circumstances may be dark. So joy, this is, and this is why I separated this week, because joy is unique to Christianity. The Christian faith has given us joy. What does that mean? It's independent. This is why it's unique, because it's independent of our performance and it's independent of our circumstances. So our joy is unique in the Christian faith because it doesn't depend on my good performance, my better-than-average performance compared to other people, my faithful performance, my fruitfulness, and it doesn't depend on the circumstances, the things that are happening around me. In fact, you, you think of this. There's a Bible phrase that goes like this, the joy of my salvation, right? Thank God it doesn't say the joy of my faithful performance. Thank God it doesn't say, the joy of my successful business, the joy of my thriving family, the joy of my, whatever, whatever it is, thank God it's the joy of my salvation, which is a work that God does, and He does that for me. So, here's the question. What is wrong with my happiness? What's wrong with my happiness? Why do I think, and why do I think it's biblical for us to grasp that God's joy is better than my happiness? And there's a simple reason for that, and it is this. When we give our hearts to something, we give our hearts to that thing. Um, when we give our hearts to, to anything except God, whether it's... Um, here's what we learn. When you do that, you'll be disappointed. And if you give all your heart to that thing to be happy, not only are we at risk of being disappointed, but depending on how much of our heart goes to that thing, we could, it could also lead us to despair when we lose it. Right? Think of the things that we gave our hearts to when we were young. I remember giving my heart to Jennifer... I shouldn't say her last name. I really shouldn't, because now we got the whole live stream thing and... What we used to say together used to be the end of it. You'd forget about everything the minute you walked out the door. But I remember as a kindergartner, kindergartner, I mean, and, and this, is, this, this is embarrassing. This is embarrassing. Literally, I only remember one thing about Jennifer. This is why I didn't say her last name. The only thing I remember about her is she had extraordinarily hairy arms. 
And that explains how I ended up picking Raquel. <laughs> I don't remember anything else about Jennifer. But I remember paying attention to who was talking to her. And I remember paying attention to where she went at recess. And I remember in some small way her interaction with me and other people affecting how my day kind of progressed in kindergarten. Now accelerate that times infinity when we give our heart to something that really matters as adults or as young people. I mean, some people who've given their heart to a young man or a young woman who eventually betrays them, and then that heart is broken. And I've seen no damage that can be done to young men quite like the damage of heartbreak, in my experience. Heartbreak. And it's not just disappointment, it leads to despair. And when you think about the things that you and I can give our hearts to, I mentioned a relationship. We can give our hearts to success. We've given our hearts thinking that this is what you do to be happy. I'm going to give my heart to my spouse, my whole hope, my whole heart. Everything that I am goes to my spouse, my family, my kids, my successful um, business, the accumulation of my wealth. And nobody, by the way, nobody does this on purpose, right? No one's like, I'm going to put my whole hope and treasure in this person or this thing. No one does that on purpose. But it starts to creep up. Uh, was it John Calvin who said, our heart is a, is a factory of idols. It just keeps churning out new idols that we find our sense of value and worth and significance and happiness in. And you think of all the ways in which some people have put their whole, given their whole heart to control and then they lose control. And what happens is you will, sooner or later, what you will realize is that, A, you're maybe not really even that happy. They, or it, isn't returning the investment. Your happiness ends up very brittle. It ends up very insecure. It ends up depending on whether or not the proverbial Jennifer hangs out with you or someone else on the playground. That thing can never make you truly, permanently happy. And then you'll say, you know what? I'm never doing this again. I am not giving my heart to that thing ever again. I am not giving my heart to a person. I'm never doing it again. I won't do it. And then, what do you do? Gravitate back to that same thing? Or you find yourself uh, maybe giving up altogether on that thing. I give up on my spouse, I give up on my wealth, my, my success, I give up on control, I, I give up on the relationship, I give up on guys and girls and parents and kids, or I just gravitate back to it or I gravitate to something else, and then I re-link my heart. And for somebody who's gravitating to the next um, heart idol, or they're giving up altogether on giving themselves to en or finding happiness at all, we certainly can become detached. And so we are either dependent or detached. And I I'm going to add another D, and in some cases in despair. Why? Because my happiness failed me. 
And ultimately, without the gospel, we must either worship the world's desires. This is so important for us to see. We must either worship the world's pleasures or we have to withdraw from them, right? Without the gospel, we have to choose one or the other, but the gospel gives us God. And when we have God, we are so deeply satisfied. I like to say it this way. We are so deeply able to treasure Jesus and put our whole trust in Him. Because of that, we know that God doesn't change. And Augustine mentioned something about this, um, obviously, uh, in, in history. And here's what he said. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless putting our happiness in different areas of happiness, putting our happiness in different things, people and, and places and things. But until our heart, heart rests in you, we're continuing to experience disappointment and detachment, giving up on happiness or looking forward again in something or someone else. So keep this in mind. When we find joy in our friendship with God, where we learn to know Him, where you and I learn to grasp and rest in His peace, when you and I are able to, um, even when we're losing things that are dear to us, we can look forward with this cast iron-clad hope that we have a home in heaven one day. And we can enjoy a foretaste of it as the Holy Spirit is at work giving us the subjective experience with God through Jesus that in fact we can find rest and that our hearts no longer have to be restless, churning about looking for, the whole, looking for some kind of happiness. But the Holy Spirit's at work in us, helping us to know God, to know His peace, to rest in our, in, in our deepest joy being in Him. And then with our hearts resting in Jesus, we can rejoice in God through Jesus Christ that, and we're able to enjoy all the good things He's given us without investing our hope in it, without connecting our joy to it, without becoming ultimately happy in it and through it. So then we're neither becoming disappointed nor detached from those things because they aren't our deepest source of joy. Does that make sense? I sure hope it does. I sure hope it does. So question, simple question then. Let's get practical. How do you get this joy? How do you get this joy? Now, obviously, we recognize that this joy comes in the work of God that He does in us by transferring our trust from ourselves to Jesus, right? Saving faith. Um, but there's something that you can do. There's a part that you can play, and it's to grow your friendship with focused time and attention. It is, it is, so, um, it, it is so alarming to come across people who you love who have been unfulfilled in their relationship with God, so much so that they've had to give their hearts to other things. And it makes me wonder at times if it's the kind of person who was offered a friendship with God and then didn't spend any focused time or attention on it. In other words, they still have a small talk relationship with God. They still occasionally randomly bump into God and then exchange some small talky talk. And then eventually all the interaction is random 
and it's purposeless. And so, growing your friendship with God is, is important. By the way, let me make this note. Keep in mind, you, you're working on your friendship with God, but you don't work on your justification before God. Does that make sense to some of you who are, tend to be, if you tend to be kind of like a works person, you're a doer, you might see the work as improving or enhancing your justification. That's already done. Now my work is just on spending time with Jesus. Now my work is just on building the friendship, talking and listening, dwelling, setting aside, focused time and attention. Like any new relationship, you've got to kind of find a way to get through the small talk. Now, small talk relationships with God is not something I believe that's just reserved for brand new believers. One of the things that's happened with, uh, with, with our devices is it is not difficult for all of us to go out to eat and be that family who's out to dinner and everybody is sitting together waiting for the food or eating their food or they're done with their food and everyone's on their devices. Some of you parents, I know you're like, you're nudging someone like, okay, now you need to listen because here comes the winner. What does that mean? What it means is even if you've been together your whole life, you can settle for small talk. You can have a relationship with God that is surfacy, that is insignificant, that isn't very friendly, it's more acquaintance-like, and I, I have not yet quite seen God come in and interrupt that with some dramatic new pursuit. He's always pursuing, He's always nudging, He's always available, He's always kind of desiring more for us in this relationship. He does the work for justification, and then He allows, much like Jesus, through the urging of the Holy Spirit, where Jesus would often slip away to quiet places. Why is Jesus slipping away? And by the way, if there's anyone who didn't need to slip away to quiet places to have conversations with His Father God, it was the Son God. You know what I'm saying? I don't mean the Son in the air. I mean Jesus the Son God, right? If anybody could have just kind of like functioned self-reliantly in tune with the Father, it could have been Jesus. But he, as a human, found it necessary to deepen that relationship with the Father, tune himself to the will of the Father, which he's nourished by, and to do it with solitude, quiet time, separate time. And this is so countercultural. I'm not the kind of person who believes that all our devices are condemned and you should you know, put it in the ground and bury it with a hand grenade and blow it up and then, you know, make, a, make some statement. If you want to, that's fine. I know that a lot of the people who invented social media have virtually done that, uh, ironically. I believe it's a tool. Um, didn't plan to say anything about devices, but it, 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 I think it indicates and illustrates how easy it is for us to be longtime believers still in a small-talky relationship and friendship with the Father in heaven still acquaintances, and there's more available, and the Holy Spirit would lead us to more so that we grow our friendship by focused time through intentional time spent knowing and meditating on this doctrine of justification by faith. If you've got an ESV study Bible, we sell those, or you've got another study Bible that you trust, or you know how to get uh, access to some kind of reference material, just grab a hold of this doctrine of justification by faith and just meditate on it. Sink yourself into it. And you might think, is that really relating to God? Yes. That is just embracing 
what it is that Jesus has done for us Himself. Um, dwell on, meditate on, know and meditate on this doctrine of justification by faith, and then apply it. We can apply it to our lives. Um, One of the things that we might need to do on a practical level is block out coffee slash conversation with God in prayer that isn't distracted by anyone or anything. It's just we blocked it out. I mean, some of you have calendars full of appointments with people that you get together with, and what do you do? Talk, relate have a conversation, listen, express, question, talk through some things. I mean, um, and it's possible for us to just love these truths together. I'm the kind of person who, when I'm praying, I need, I need to be able to write. I have to write. Oftentimes, as I'm talking with God, I'm writing, and it's a part of the way I'm talking to Him and then listening and so on. I'm, I, I find myself too easily distracted if I'm just, just waiting for God to kind of speak, and I'm listening, and you know, doing that with, with um, some, some level of focus really helps me. So uh, it's important for us to keep a routine. Keep a routine. Um, make coffee and conversation dates that you keep with yourself to, to, to dwell on this doctrine of justification. A part of a good routine is going to always have gathering together on Sunday mornings. I can't say this enough. Do you have to meet together in a church service to be a Christian? No. Does it help you grow, stay fresh, keep the spark alive, encourage you? Yes. Yes, it does. Um, Do I have to have dinner with my family once a week to continue to be family? No. But doesn't it help stay connected and it helps affection grow and it helps in so many different ways. So, so important in our focus, time, and attention. So important for us to um, make sure that we keep a routine. And then learn and practice how you best relate to God. Some people relate differently. And I'm talking about reading. Some people are readers. Some people are listeners. It's amazing uh, tools for us to be listeners to listen to the Scripture. If you haven't checked out Streetlight's Bible yet, uh, it's an audible audio Bible. Um, talented musicians c- kind of read through the Scriptures in spoken word, and I know what you're thinking. That's got to be the cheesiest thing ever. They pull it off. Inc- I mean, it's so good. It's so good. You could tell they're talented musicians. There's so many ways you can listen to the Bible. There's writing. If you like to watch things, the Bible Project's available, obviously. Talking aloud, some of you are into that. Talk aloud so you can hear this conversation. Um, and then ultimately, you do things that Jesus did. How do we build our relationship? We, do, we share the experiences that Jesus had. We do what He did. We love our enemies. We forgive our enemies. We um, care for those people who are marginalized. Um, all of life, we give our time Energy makes self-sacrificing love for people, and that, that's how we share. Secondly and lastly, how do we get this joy? Remind yourself that you renounced Adam to receive Jesus. This is, this, is, um, the, this is the second half of Romans chapter 5 when Paul says, In Adam, meaning Adam from the Garden of Eden, we inherited this seed that was sinful, and Adam brought us condemnation. Why did Adam bring us condemnation? Because in the Garden of Eden, he doubted and disobeyed God. Adam, in the Garden of Eden, he did his own thing to live for his own glory. He was self-reliant and self-righteous. 
And he made himself a God who was ruling over his own life. And this is what we learn, that in Romans chapter 5, Paul says, those people who are in Adam exist, and God doesn't justify them. Those people are condemned. They've made themselves a God over their own life. Disobey, doubting, doing their own thing. So, first you need to remind yourself that I was once in Adam, and I renounced that. It's kind of like, I mean, maybe we could picture it this way. It's not too weird to say this, I hope. We, 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 we look at Adam and say, Adam, our relationship is over. I'm breaking up with you. Once and for all. This is, it's, it's over. I have a new love. I have a new devotion. I've given myself, my heart, not to you any longer who's doing your own thing and who doubts God and is so rebellious and just is so self-reliant, living for your own glory. I'm done there. I've renounced that life in Adam, and I am now giving my whole heart and my trust, transferring it from one to the other, and I am trusting and treasuring, delighting in Jesus forever from now on. What does that mean? I'm reminding myself, I renounced Adam. I don't have a friendship with Adam. I am no long, I've been miraculously saved out of the seed and the condemnation that comes with Adam, and I have been redeemed and given to Jesus. And I am receiving this new relationship with Jesus. Receiving it. It's offered to us, and we're receiving it. Here's how he writes it in verse 18. Yes, Adam's sin brings condemnation for everyone. So I renounce his self-righteousness and I receive Jesus' suffer love. The love that he expresses to me that is the deepest kind of love. What kind of love is that? It's the kind of love that suffers in my place. Takes my place in suffering. And there are signs. There are specific signs that we are rejoicing in our new life. There are specific signs that we are rejoicing in our new life and new friendship. But Christ's, act, Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. So there's this new life, there's new way to live that you and I um, receive when we're friends with God. And there are signs of rejoicing in this right relationship. Um, in fact, there's a list of them. Timothy Keller develops these. He describes them um, really, really in detail. But one of the things that, one of the signs that we are rejoicing in our new friendship is that we are deeply satisfied. Like in our bones, we are deeply satisfied with the doctrine of justification by faith. It doesn't just make us smile that something deep inside says, rest, enjoy that, take that in. And you rejoice in it by studying it. You rejoice in it by speaking about it to others, having conversations about it. You, 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 you know, if you only think of your past in terms of um, justification, it helps you because you don't say, what a mess I made of my life. I'm so ashamed of what I've done. Now we get to say, instead of saying that, we get to say, can you believe it? God has made me a friend of His. It's, it's, it's what a life change, what a joy. Despite my deep failure, despite my most flawed decisions, despite my self-centered record, it's absolutely true. Also, 
when you discover in yourself some surprising new character flaw or you discover in yourself some brand new fearfulness or a lack of self-control, you don't, this discovery doesn't make you separate yourself from God. We used to deal with this when I was dealing with, with teenagers all the time. You know, you kind of track down a teenager who's gone missing from your weekly meeting, and when you talk to them, they say, yeah, well, and I think this is true for all of us, not just teenagers, but they would express it. They would say, yeah, I'm really having, I'm really having a tough, tough month. What do you mean you're having a tough month? Well, I'm doing, you know, I've just made some terrible decisions. I'm so, so ashamed of myself. So how did that lead you to not gather with us? Duh. I can't stand there in youth group and act like I'm all high and mighty singing worship songs and taking notes during the sermon. I'm like, so when you were there, it's because you were so holy? And when you think about who's there when you're not, you think those people are gathered together because we're all so holy? Uh-uh. No. We're gathered together because of how unholy we are, how dependent on the holy grace of God we completely are, and we gather to celebrate that together. So when you discover, this is what justification by faith does, uh, by God's grace through faith does. It means that when you discover something in yourself that you're not too thrilled with, or when you're married and you have a tool of grace that you've married and God uses your spouse to point out something that's not all that thrilling, attractive, You don't have to distance yourself from God. Instead, you can draw near to God. You can approach His throne with boldness because His throne is a throne of grace. And right when you need it, He's going to give you all the grace you could possibly imagine. And then you think, that's a lot of grace. He's going to give you more. So when you discover these things about yourself, the doctrine of justification says you can rejoice in your new friendship and you don't have to stay away when your life is crummy. You don't have to stay away when you're disappointed. Look at, I love this idea. When you're doubting God, you can walk right up to his throne room by grace when you're in Christ and you say, God, I'm struggling with doubt. You don't have to disappear and hope nobody notices that you're struggling. Why? Because we can rejoice in this brand new relationship that has come through justification by God's grace through faith. And in this right relationship with God, we have a new life and it applies to everyone. And there are signs of rejoicing. And when you're struggling, this new friendship with God, you start to feel like I'm closer than ever. How many of you can remember things really, really getting intense with God when you've blown it the worst you ever blew it? Things, because God is there. He is present. He is in pursuit. Also, when your conscience starts, conscience starts to accuse you, how could, this is what I mentioned, how could you, how could God love you after what you've done? You don't try to answer that with your performance, you know, like, oh, listen, I've been having a really bad day. I need more sleep. Um, You know, this person provoked me. They've been provoking me for a long time. You don't have to answer with some kind of reference to your performance. You know what we get to do? We get to say something completely different. Even if I had done it properly, it wouldn't have changed how much God receives me by his grace. It wouldn't have changed a thing. That thing would not have made me acceptable in God's sight in any way. Jesus died for me, 
and His righteousness can cover a thousand worlds filled with a thousand people a thousand times worse than me. But again, I'm pointing to the performance of God, the performance of Jesus and not mine. Church family, let's pray together. Can we, Father, we just pray today that you would expand this truth in our heart to bring new joy for those who are really suffering with condemning themselves, distance from you. Perhaps there's somebody in our church family who's listening here in person or tuning in through our live stream and and you feel like you are distant from God because you know that you carry in your own mind, your own decisions, your behaviors, your attitudes have been undesirable to God. And so you've distanced yourself. Maybe you're feeling completely dejected by the criticism you've received from somebody. And you're, trying, you're kind of wrestling with, this is not fair. This is, unf- this is unfair. I don't deserve this criticism. What, you, God, help us to see that we could embrace the criticism and say, you know, if they only knew, I'm worse than they're saying I am. Father, I pray that you'd speak new joy into our hearts and that new relationships would begin with you today for the first time and that you would help us to renew our relationship with you. God, we pray that your grace would rule in our life, that we would develop a brand new, in some cases, a brand new fearless friendship with you. For others, it would be a renewed depth of friendship Church family, while you're praying, I just wonder if you'd let me know, who am I praying for? You want to begin brand new, a fearless friendship with God through Jesus that you've never had before. First time, first time, you slip your hand up. Who am I praying with? First time, new friendship with God. Yes. Only you could do this, Holy Spirit. Only you could do this. Only you could do this. And also, some others, you've... You're friends with God through the work of Jesus, and today you're asking God for a renewed depth of friendship, a renewed relationship with a little bit of fire and spark and joy. Would you raise your hand today? That's you. You're, You're on it. Renewed friendship. God, thank you today. Do this special work we ask. We pray that you would finish this work that you're starting, that it wouldn't come through magical words of the prayers of the pastor, but the power and the insight and the the, the dynamite explosiveness of the Holy Spirit deep in their soul. We ask you to do it. We know you want to do it. We we just pray it in faith, knowing that you're a mountain-moving God. We pray in Jesus' name. Would you stand, church family? We're going to sing a celebration song of surrendering ourselves. And I just encourage you to make this desire this prayer, make it your song today, would you?